You are here because you want to learn more about the wolves, no? Well, I think that's why I'm here. Of course. Everyone knows the events in the God's Valley. The Master's Folly and the due course that led to the world as it is today. Narrowly avoiding disaster. However, there was a time when the wolves were not the mighty heroes that could level a city by force of will or bring back lost loved ones from the clutches of death. Have a hard time believing that. Mm, no, well, just listen. Their beginning was very much like everyone else's. They were children. Woe is it the fate that is brought upon the shoulders of babes and such individuals so young to heft a burden so heavy. However, this is not to admonish destiny or preach against the futile mewlings of those who might seek to tarnish a reputation. This is simply a record, meant to more fully elucidate any who might seek to learn more about our famous heroes. Those were some fancy words to say this is what happened. Well, I'm very verbose, so please excuse me, it is my way of telling stories. Alright, well... A verb go on. The world we see is Argaria, a landmass thousands of miles across in either direction where eight nations dwell. To the north is the sprawling plains of Avstand. West of that is the valley and mountain-filled Starostrum. To the southwest of the continent are the hot and humid jungles of Zugo. Moving eastward, we have the rocky beaches of Corcaligo and the greenery of healthy botanical life in Ruthia. Far to the eastern side of the continent are the deserts of Mirenlug, hiding their true beauty from would-be invaders. And there is also the Blood Forest, not a true nation by the standards of the realm, but a territory belonging solely to the elves. However, our story concerns mostly the goings-on within that eighth nation, the Kingdom of Veldalen, a temperate country that is filled with myriad different races, mostly dwelling together in their large cities. The youngest country in Argaria it was, until a millennium ago, ungoverned, filled with various barbarian hordes, as the story goes, until a mighty elven warrior named Veldolin came down from the Blood Forest and liberated this land during the Victory Wars. Still, it was an unforged nation until Veldolin's descendant, Raelodian, was able to finally unify the nation under a single banner, placing his younger brother Arngrim on the throne and beginning the first true lineage of the new nation, whereby each subsequent ruler took the surname Arngrim. It is the birthplace of dwarves, who long ago left their mountain fortress of Wirecrag, buried deep within the Beldrock, and spread throughout the world after a great calamity destroyed their home. It is also the home of a little village called Moonreach. Oh, I've heard of that one. I imagine you have. It's in the name of the heroes. That is where I heard it. Located just to the south of the Midland Wilds, an offshoot wood connected to the Blood Forest to the north. 
Our story begins in the summer of the year 368 coronation date, or CD. King Gustav Angrim X, his wife Sabil Raoul Minevestra, and their eldest daughter Rolla Marin, or Marin, all died under varying and mysterious circumstances. The crown passed to the eldest son, Enengard, or En, Angrim VII, a brilliant fighter and commander. This begins a new and uncomfortable political environment of Verlin with their neighbor Rothia, which have had tensions since their last battle decades ago. But for the village of Moonreach, these turbulent issues will not reach them. So isolated are they in their location. At least, not yet. Imagine if you will. We open to a scene of some hilarity. A small group of children attempting to wrest an object of some significance from the mouth of a great beast. Oh, what kind of beast is it? King the Boar. Prize stud of a farmer known simply as Old Man Hadrian had acquired the village lineage stone somehow, and the children were attempting to retrieve it. From a pig? Yes, from a from a, a it's a large pig. Not like a, it's not like one you'd see typically, you know, milling about in the mud, but a a, a, a prize winning pig, a, a, a boar with tusks. Well, they have a mighty bite. I know that. Yes, they do. And a mighty headbutt. The lineage stone, the most important artifact of any settlement worth their salt, as you would know, was due to be transported to the capital of Deepminster in a few days' time, as the ten-year gap had passed to celebrate the lineage festival. There it would be inscribed by a lapidarist with the names of everyone who had either been born in or made Moonreach their home within the last ten years, as was the way of such things. The children, I think you'll have realized, were some of those who would one day become the wolves of Moonreach. Tomar Ironfist, a young dwarf, rambunctious and hot-headed, son of Gorm and Bergamot Ironfist, the local gemsmith and healer, respectively, Gorbel Ice Tower, a tall and charismatic young half-orc whose parents had passed on, but was adopted into the Iron Fist family. These two had formed a strong bond as brother and sister despite their constant bickering. Another set of siblings were Lewin Kethiamer and Willem Valtel. Lewin, fully elven, was a stoic, kind girl, and Willem, a half-elf boy with a dubious predilection toward guile and sneakery. They may have had different fathers, but their connection was no less strong than full siblings. Their mother, Lagaya Valtel, was the horsemaster of Moonreach, and Lewin's father, Zinmaris Ketyama, was the chamberlain of the village, and as such was required to build the connections between the various cities in the realm, as well as travel to the blood forest known to the elves as Leodwin. Smoozog Wilkins, called Smoochie by his friends, was a large half-orc boy with a determined nature about him, quiet in contemplation, and righteous in his anger when it fell upon him. 
His adopted mother was a well-known human warrior in her own right, Violet Wilkins, called Ironspine by some, and was the range master for the village. Rounding out their little ragtag bunch was Beldan, Smoochie's adopted brother, and coincidentally, also a half-orc. He was older than the others by a few years and tended to think of himself as their de facto leader, though the others, save for Smoochie, seemed to take issue with this. It was in fact Beldan who had caused this issue with King the Boar in the first place. He'd approached them, telling them they needed to help him retrieve the lineage stone, though he offered scant details as to how the creature had acquired the talisman in the first place. The children chased the boar down a hill, batting him with sticks and dodging out from his attacks until eventually, Smoochie and Gorbel were able to leap on top of the beast, while Willem and Tomar distracted him. Lewin, acting quickly, took advantage of this and was able to snatch the lineage stone from the boar's mouth, saving their bacon, as it were. That's a pretty good one. Thank you. I was working on that all night, preparing for this story. You, th you think it works? Yeah, I mean, we could polish it up a little bit, but I think that was pretty good. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably not road ready yet, I guess. No, no. Well, um, where was I? Oh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> then Beldan drove the beast away, chasing it off while begging the others to return the talisman to the mayor's house before anyone noticed. The group, now feeling accomplished by their successful tactical victory, set about to talking mad shit on Beldan while contemplating the best way to return the lineage stone unbeknownst to the rest of the town. Taking the Lineage Stone was considered a grievous crime, harshly punished, and the group did not want to run the risk of being excommunicated or worse on account of Bildan. Well, he sounds kind of like a turd anyway. Yes, a, a bit. I mean, if you've heard at all what happened to him later, it's no surprise, but we, we won't get into that right now. Oh, I have some thoughts. It was decided that they would figure out a way to get inside and place it back on the pedestal in the locked room within Mayor Gleave on Feicher's manor. Willem saw that there was an open window on the second floor, and so, taking the lineage stone, he began climbing. However, he broke one of the eaves in his descent uply, and thinking fast, Gorbel and Tomar pounded on the door to get the mayor's attention. The mayor's butler, Winston, opened the door to find Tomar standing proudly with his hands on his hips, demanding to be let in, with Gorbel, Smoochie, and Lewin behind him. Winston tried to turn them away, but Gorbel was able to convince him that they needed to see the mayor, despite Tomar's simple commands to let them come hang out inside. Winston acquiesced to Gorbel's request and led the four of them in. Tomar and Smoochie began making a bunch of noise, knocking things over on quote-unquote accident, while Gorbel made sure her voice was loud enough to carry, indicating to Willem through surreptitious means where they were in the manor and what was going on. Willem was able to make it to the locked room, and through an unbelievable string of luck, Jimmy opened the lock without breaking it. Then he rushed inside and replaced the lineage stone and snuck away. Pretty neat, huh? Well, sounds like mission accomplished. Well, perhaps. But perhaps not. Wait. You... What else? Well, 
I'm about to tell you. We'll get to it. Oh, 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 oh right. I, I, I will. Maybe that part needs needs to be brushed up a bit as well. well you know, this we're workshopping all of this. Uh, anyway, in the hallway, uh, Willem ran into Mayor von Feicher, who seemed perfectly unconcerned that some random village boy had made his way into his upstairs hallway. Willem explained that he was trying to find the bathroom. Von Feicher cast a knowing look to the locked room and then encouraged Willem to join his friends below as it seemed they needed to tell him something. Once the party was reassembled and Willem gave them a nod to let them know all was well, the group began weaving concerns, in the way that children do when they're trying to outsmart an adult, that they were worried about what would happen to them once the lapidarist inscribed their names on the lineage stone later in the week. The mayor, seeming to know what they were up to but playing along, told them that they need not worry, as both Lewin and Smoochie were old enough to have been placed on the previous decade's roster, if only just. The group decided the mission was complete and bid the mayor farewell. Then they agreed to meet up at the fountain the next day and discuss what they were going to do to get Beldan back for putting them in that situation in the first place. Well, I can think of a few things. What would, what would, you, what would your things be? Well, have you ever poured spoiled milk on someone's bed? I, I have not, but it's interesting that you say that because one of their ideas did have to do with milk. The next morning, at the fountain, the group made plans that ranged from trapping Beldan under a pile of rubble to putting milk in his mead. While they were strategizing, they were interrupted by an annoyance. Jalen Grimhold, an elven boy, and his entourage, two half-orc boys named Lars and Ulf, arrived. Now I have heard about that one. Well, don't give anything away to those who are listening and haven't. Oh, but I kind of want to. Well, you and I can oh, dis- no, you just discuss go, go, it. Go, go, go. You say it's, it. You say it. You can say it. It's, it's fine. No, it is fine. You go. Lars and Ulf arrived with Jalen Grimhold and began bullying the group. This was not their first encounter with the trio, but it was the first time they had shown up with another person. Myra Greencross, who Willem and Tomar had often described as the prettiest girl in the village, was with them. Something was up. She seemed particularly hesitant to engage the group while Jalen lobbed insults at them. Tomar, infuriated, stood his ground in front of them. Willem, seeming to know what was about to happen, yelled, Get fucked! Jalen started to respond, but Tomar headbutted him mid-sentence, knocking him down. That is so typical Tomar. Oh, you know him. I've heard, I've heard about the headbutts. Have you? All the way out here? Things get around. Sometimes. I'm sure they do. Well, I'm doing my part to get everything, you know, in in the minds and in the hearts and the souls of the common folk so that they know that even heroes might have humble origins. Perhaps it's working. Maybe not. I guess we'll see. 
Ulf and Lars stepped forward, but Lewin brandished a stick quite intimidatingly, and the boys were quickly reminded that Lewin was considered one of the most competent fighters of her age. They all ran off, and shortly after, Beldan arrived. The group was angry, understandably, but he explained that Myra Greencross was the one who originally took the lineage stone on a request from Jalen to join his group, and she had begged him to help her retrieve it. Is this, like, one of the hazing things that I've read about? Uh, it, it very well could be. It, I, you know, I don't know if anyone ever learned Jalen's true intentions for wanting the lineage stone. That is interesting. I shall do more research uh, to more fully elucidate the, uh, the, those who, who listen to my tales. That's a good point. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Leave it to me to ask the hard-hitting questions. Yes, yes, uh, very hard-hitting indeed. Uh, uh, So everyone was even more upset with this new information, and they left Beldan to stew in their displeasure. Gorble Ice Tower mentioned she was excited for the Lineage Festival and thought everyone else should be as well. When she learned that Tomar wasn't planning on dressing up for it, she began making fun of him. Everyone else agreed they would like to be able to dress up as well, but didn't have any money to buy new clothes. So the group decided they would need to make some extra coin to buy some, as they said, sweet digs. Tomar immediately suggested they try to work at the smithy, since Sharon, the blacksmith, only had one arm and might need some help. Gorble and Smoochie explained that they'd seen her do amazing things on her own and probably would be offended that he even made such a suggestion. Then Tomar explained that they could also maybe learn to make amazing weapons in their downtime, which appealed to all of the youngsters well enough. So they went to the smithy. Sharon was not there, but another villager was. Fennec, the stable hand. He was a tall, intimidating specter with a face like thunder and hardly ever spoke around them. The children knew that he was even seen as scary to the other adults, and Willem, a fellow stable hand, recalled that he had seen Fennec once drag a temperamental stallion out of the stable with his bare hands so that they could shoe it. Fennec seemed to regard the children impassively, and the only person who wasn't bothered by him was Gorble, who explained he's always super nice to her. That'll do it. Good first impression is all it takes. <laughs> she told Fennec they were looking for a way to make money, and Fennec suggested that he heard old man Hadrian complaining about his missing chickens in the tavern. Wait, is he the one with the pig? He's also the one with the pig. Why can't he control these animals? I'm just saying that maybe somebody who can't keep these beasts on a leash or whatever you keep chickens on, then maybe they shouldn't have them. That is an excellent point. And I think perhaps if he were alive today, perhaps he is. I do not know. But perhaps if he was, you could tell him that because it sounds like he's not a very good farmer or at the very least not good with his livestock or maybe Moonreach just needs some kind of like village ordinance saying leash your chickens that is a very uh, good suggestion and I think that they would have benefited from that but perhaps if they had none of this would have transpired in the first place oh proceed Fennec believed the farmer was willing to part with some coin in exchange for his chicken's return. 
but before leaving, Willem noticed an old rusty sword in the smithy's garbage bin and sneakily slipped it under his cloak. So the children went to the Swan and Kobold Tavern to look for Old Man Hadrian. The crotchety old gnome was easy to spot and when they arrived was already in the midst of his complaints to several uninterested parties. The children discovered that Hadrian believed his neighbor, Methusel, to be the one who'd stolen his chickens and agreed to pay each of the children five silver pieces to return the chickens to him. Which, thinking about it, back then perhaps that was more, but it doesn't really seem like a good day's work with a funds or a wage, don't you think? Well, I, I don't know how much costumes cost for a lineage festival, so maybe that works. That's, a, that's also a good point. Also, children are notoriously underpaid for their labor, so I'm sure that had something to do with it. Yes, this is, this is a this is starting to travel down a road. I'm not sure that I, I like the the result of this is let's let's we you and I we can discuss that later. I think I've got a pamphlet in my car. The children went to Methuselah's farm. The farmer, a young man likely in his early twenties, was very friendly. He and his wife had seven children, all under the age of eight, who seemed to run rampant in the village and hills. So are they going to beat up this Methuselah guy? Uh, Get the chickens back? Um, well... Rough them up a little bit, maybe threaten the kids? Ferdinanda, Methuselah's wife, treated the children to fresh peach cider, save for Tomar, who asked for warm milk. Methuselah explained that Hadrian was always accusing him of doing something nefarious, as their farms were next to one another, and just last week claimed he'd moved his property line six inches into his land. He said he'd thought he'd seen a group of chickens heading northeast to the old ruins, but didn't say anything because he thought it would be hilarious if they never returned to Hadrian's farm. So the children made for the old ruins outside of the village, the ruins were pressed into the side of the hill, and the children knew it was sealed by a massive stone door somewhere within the depths of the earthy opening of a tunnel. The group stopped by Smoochie's house in the woods beforehand and gathered up weapons they were able to scrounge. To Wait, are they, are they going to attack the chickens? You know, I'm not sure what they were thinking. I think they thought perhaps they'd run into trouble inside because it's an ancient ruin, you know, and if they were able to unearth it, perhaps there would be, I don't know, skeletons or ghosts or big rats or something. Well, good luck stabbing a ghost. Well, I mean, but yes, but they were children, you must understand. So, you know, they, they probably had a lot of I mean, of two of them were on that last lineage stone round, so they're not that young. That's true. That's true. And, uh, perhaps they thought maybe they'd encounter some something. You know, as the saying goes, it's better to have a club and not need it than need a club and get clubbed yourself. The old saying, I guess. Uh, to, uh, speaking of clubs, uh, to Tomar, a club. To Lewin, a wooden training sword. Willem, keeping the rusty sword he'd found... <clears throat> found a secret, was able to procure a knife, and Smoochie took one of his mother's quivers and an old training bow. Gorble confidently asserted that she needed no weapons and would tackle any obstacle in their path. 
I am pretty sure you can tackle a ghost. You know, um, we should get an expert on this, because I'd hate to be misrepresenting ghosts. Actually, I will call my aunt tomorrow. Oh, oh, oh right. She's, she isn't a ghost expert. Of sorts. Yeah, I, I might need... It's called The Gift. I've got a pamphlet. When they arrived, it was late afternoon, and discovered that there were feathers and chicken droppings at the entrance. This is promising. It is. Before they could move down into the cave-like opening, Jalen appeared again, his face bandaged and holding a thin rapier. Well, what in the heck is he doing here? I don't know, but... Is he stealing stones and chickens? You know, it wouldn't surprise me based on how the stories have described him. Maybe he cut those chickens right off their leashes. You know, that that's also a possibility. I think perhaps you're following the leash path too strongly, but, you know, I think you're in the right wheelhouse. Well, I don't know how else you contain a chicken. A fence, perhaps. They can fly, can't they? Uh, I think a little. Probably enough, I think they can climb. They have really sharp little toes. Well, um, I think this is getting away from us. We should probably uh, slide back into the story. Okay, well, steer us back, Captain. You know, I'm starting to work on, you know, the the improvisational part of my storytelling, but I'm, you know, I'm still, you know, it still fills me with a lack of confidence. Okay, well, pardon me. You're doing great. Thank you. I am. Do you really think so? Yes. I... I will take it from your tone that you are 100% serious. Okay, now what's going on with this Jalen kid? Well, allow me to inform you. He decided it was time to teach the group a lesson, and he and his two cronies attacked. The group fought for a bit, with no side really winning over the other. Willem tried to use the sword he'd found, but discovered it was, in a very unlucky sequence of events, unwieldy and he got it stuck in the earth where he couldn't remove it. It all came to a head when Jalen stabbed Lewin in the shoulder. She dropped to the ground, severely wounded. Tomar, using knowledge from his mother, was able to stop the bleeding and get a bandage made. When it looked quite grim, Beldan arrived. He dashed out from the trees after following his friend's trail and easily scooped Willem's sword up from the ground. The much larger and older boy was well known as being able to go toe-to-toe with some of the adults of the village in a fight, and with an actual metal weapon was too terrifying for Jalen and his gang to want to mess with. So, Beldan chased them away into the now-evening dimness, allowing his friends to continue. Tomar used the one healing potion he was able to get from his mother's healing hut on Lewin, restoring her to her full recovery. Then the party entered the tunnel. You know, I'm, I'm taking back my, my thoughts about bringing weapons along. I really was not expecting child bandits to show up, so... You know, no one expects child bandits, but, you know... Good on them. On an evening stroll in the park and suddenly, boom, child bandits... It happens to me much more often than I would like. Well, tackle a ghost and bring weapons for the kids. Those are my takeaways. 
The door guarding the entrance was made of thick stone, and a face was carved into it, horrifying to behold. When the children attempted to knock, the face began to move, whistling a song. None of the children seemed to know how to proceed, but Gorbel realized that the song was similar to an old orcish battle hymn, but incomplete. She knew it wasn't quite the same, as there were some differences, but she was able to easily recall the resolution to the melody and whistle it in response to the door. It opened. Inside, the party saw murals painted, revealing a story of catastrophe, but they ignored it in favor of the chickens, with Tomar saying, Who cares about history? Well, it's interesting that he would say that. Really came back to bite him a bit. Anyway, uh, just my personal thoughts on that. I'll, uh, you know, probably pull that from the final version. They they had a job, they had a mission, they had money on the line. I think they were acting in a professional manner. Uh, yes, yeah, y- you know, that's... Um, <clears throat> yes, they were quite professional in their uh, proclivities. So, um, y- yes, you're right. Perhaps, you know, they... <laughs> You know, sometimes you're, you're a hero from, from a young age and you just grow into be a bigger hero. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, they traveled down through twists and turns, fighting off rats, oh, rats, and other rodents in the dark before Wait, were they supposed to bring those back to Old Man Hadrian too? I don't believe so. I think the rats were part of the uh, ruin. I think that was their, their wheelhouse. Gotcha. The well was made of black stone, and the sense the children got from it was one of overwhelming power and perhaps sinister in origin, though they couldn't tell for sure. Backtracking, they finally arrived at a large cavernous room in the back of the ruin. Curiously, there were torches lit, allowing them to see within. After solving a very easy puzzle, they were able to get to move forward as the door opened. Inside, to their horror, they saw that there was a huge assembly of chickens, of all variety, but when they entered the room, the chickens scattered into holes in the wall. Quite curious. Then, as if by magic, A large shadow fell on them as a massive chicken the size of a house suddenly fell from the ceiling. I take it that's the leader. Seems as though. They began to fight this beast immediately, but saw that the chicken's stomach was glowing from within. After a while, Lewin was able to calm the chicken, and the group watched as the glowing object within moved down. The group realized, probably to the worst horror yet, that the chicken had swallowed something magical and was attempting to pass it through its digestive tract. So they waited. Lewin kept the beast calm while Tomar made mm, frequent inquiries into its health to see when it would pass the object. You can't rush these things. In the meantime, Gorbel Ice Tower decided that she would check on the status of the chickens in the walls. 
Peering into one of the holes, she noticed a little brown chicken huddled terrified within a cubby. She cooed to it, coaxed, and was able to pacify it enough to get it to come out, putting feed in her hand that had been scattered about and goading the chicken into abandoning its hovel. The chicken emerged, and Gorbel picked it up and began petting it. The chicken warmed up to her immediately, perching on her shoulder and lovingly pecking her cheek. She decided to call it Jennifer. Finally, the others noticed that the chicken lord, as they began to call it, was about to pass the object, and when it did, the chicken shrunk down to irregular chicken proportions and fluttered off down the hall into the darkness. That's pretty much best case scenario. You know, that I believe that is an old saying. If the chicken shits and shrinks, that's the best case scenario. The other chickens, no longer under the spell, also left their holes, filling out <clears throat> filing, sorry, out of the room to return to old man Hadrian's farm. However, this left the children with a glowing magical artifact. An orb burning with incandescent light and giving off a sense of foreboding. Smoochie noticed a small bricked-in stagnant pool of water in the corner of the room, and Willem noticed there was a mural on the wall behind it depicting a group of individuals plunging a glowing green orb into water. So the group did what children tend to. They did a danger. Lewin picked the orb up with her cloak and dropped it into the pool, and they noticed immediately that the orb changed from green to a shimmering blue. The water itself became clear, no longer brackish and disgusting. Feeling brave, Tomar was the first to reach toward the orb in the water. As soon as his fingers touched it, he disappeared into nothing. He felt as though he was soaring through mist, with a voice in his mind calling him, My child. So the others did just as Tomar, intending to go wherever he'd gone. Willem went next. He had the sense of grasping a small, narrow knife and skulking through darkness. Gorbel was filled with a world of song and dance. Lewin felt as though she was weighed down by a sword and shield, and Smoochie felt the wind of an arrow passing by his face. When the children exited, they did not know how much time had passed, though they all felt as though it had been a very long time. They left the cave, the orb now gone, and saw that the moon had risen as they made their way back to the village. Shortly after, they discovered hardly any time had passed at all since they'd entered the cave, and so they collected their coin from Hadrian and returned home with a new sense of who they were as people and the rules they should observe. However, this was hardly the end of their story, as you know, but this was also not even scratching the surface of the beginning, because in a few short years, their entire world would change, sending them forward on the path that fate had presented to them. That seems as good of a place to Senny to stop, don't you think? Well, I have some unanswered questions. 
Well, yes, I, I'm sure, but the, the story is not over. Just for, for okay, the night, we'll, we'll put, a, put a pause on it. And, you know, perhaps another night soon, um, you know, when the tavern gets more full, I can continue the story and, and, and uh, you know, because it's, it's getting late. Well, um, did they make it to the, the Lineage Festival? Uh, well, I will, I will actually cover a little bit of that uh, in, in the next installment, so you just have to be patient on, on that front. Um, uh, but I, I, will, you, will you be around to, you know, offer gentle criticism uh, next time? Perhaps? Well, I, I guess I'm going to have to if I want to know how this story plays out. Well, it's but you you think it's engaging, right? I'm I'm doing a good job. This is my first time telling a story, so I wanted to make sure that you know I I covered all the details. You've never told a story before. You're like eight hundred years old, well, by the, my estimation. Well, you know that's rude, but you know I suppose I have. If I had moisturized more as a as a as a youth, then perhaps I wouldn't. I look this old. I'm actually only forty one. Still, that's a long time to go without ever telling a story so i'd say for your first time out of a 10 i'd give you i'd give you a solid solid seven well, point two five seven point don't ask me for more i'm not gonna give it to you oh okay um that no that's good uh, that's that's enough to work with i can i can definitely take that and 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 utilize where, where would you ask that i they improve perhaps um, I would say maybe finishing the story. Um, well, as I as I said, I'm 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 leaving it here so that I can tell it another night because it is it's quite long. There. Well, you have a lot of ideas about how the story is supposed to play out and how storytelling goes, and that's kind of rich coming from somebody who's never told a story before. Um, well, well, beginning, middle, end. Well, this was the the end of of the first part. That's how I, I kind of envisioned it. You know, uh, it's it was something I read in a book about you know leaving the audience wanting more, and it appears I have done my job there. So perhaps you could raise my score on your little scorecard. Leaving your audience pissed off. Well, I didn't intend to make you upset. Uh, that was not that's not my intention. I just wanted to enrapture you with my tale. I thought we were going to go to a lineage festival. I thought I was going to hear about some cute kids in costumes. I I don't know. I just thought it was going to end different. Well, I, I promise you will get resolution to all of your questions and probably uh, unlock a lot more with the next installment. Fine. Well, another time then. However, uh, for the rest of you listening, I want you to know I will continue again soon. Stay tuned, because there is much more to be learned about the Wolves of Moonreach. Much, much more. Good night. Yes, this is this is a this is starting to travel down a road. I'm not sure that I, I like the the result of this is let's let's we you and I we can discuss that later. I think.
I've got a pamphlet in my car. <laughs> I think you mean cart. <laughs> <laughs>